Hello there, and welcome to Odessa First Assembly's weekly podcast, where we bring you the heart of our Sunday message. I'm Tony, your host and the face behind our digital ministry. We're excited to dive into today's sermon, exploring the Word of God together. So grab your coffee, find a comfy spot, and let's embark on this journey of faith. Without further ado, here's this week's sermon. You know, a good way to get your tuition for youth convention is through the wrapping paper fundraiser. Some of you are with me. (laughs) So another thing we're going to do with Rock the Block, we're going to give you invitations to be able to invite your family and friends to come by and information about our church. And um, we'll have more details and small print things um, later on. But if you have your Bibles, we've been in a series called... Um, encounters with Jesus and this morning we're going to talk about the rich young ruler we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 19 Um, Matthew chapter 19 and as you turn I just want to pray really quick father we thank you Lord for today we thank you Lord for your presence and your work in our hearts by your spirit and we pray today our hearts will be good soil Lord ready to receive your word And Father, we pray, Lord, as we move forward um, with renewal of this house, this this room, this sanctuary, Lord, we pray that dates and finances, Lord, we just just commit it all into your hands, Lord, because we know what's going to happen is that it's going to be made into a room to continue to reach the area around us in the Permian Basin and all be used for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I, is, is anybody, does anybody like games? You play, any, any families, y'all like board games and stuff? We, we're a family that likes to play games. We have been accused of competitiveness. And, uh, and I say that sometimes, and then like, that, like, you know, people get together with our kids and play in a game, and they're like, whoa. <laughs> you know, that's just, you know, when we get together as a family, it's just like it all, you know, it's like there's, there's no boundaries in which how competitive you can be. I mean, it's, there's, there's been some fights. There's been some cards thrown across the room. There's, uh, there's been some arguments. There, but we've never let the sun go down on our wrath, just so you know. But we, we get a little competitive. We do like, we have a family game. I, don't, pro, I would dare say most of anybody in this room has never heard of this game. It's a game that was stopped production in the, in the 70s. And so we've actually, I mean, we've, you, we, we've eBayed and we searched to make these games, but it's called Acquire. You may have heard of Acquire? Acquire, what, Jessica's heard of Acquire, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Does Eric play Acquire? I did not know that. Oh, Angela, Eric plays a choir. <laughs> so a choir, I mean, it's a finance game. If you like strategy, if you're competitive, you know, it's that type of thing. But, you know, there's another finance game that a lot of people are more familiar with, and it's called Monopoly. Is there anybody in the house that likes Monopoly? I do not like Monopoly. So, and, and I, I think years later I found out is that I... I I've always played wrong. And maybe that has something to do with it. I, I don't know. But there's been, and there's all kinds of monopolies. Listen to this. Monopoly is really, is, is, is the most popular board game of all time. 
It's sold in 111 countries and 43 languages. I mean, isn't that crazy? There's been, there, there, there's even versions of Monopoly that are Braille for the blind. There's electronics, there's video games, there's even a chocolate version. I'm, I may have to try to find that one, I don't know. But since it was invented, over one billion people have played Monopoly. I mean, process that. I mean, and there's all, you know, there's all kinds of Monopoly games and all kinds of themes. And um, I got a few up here. I got a few. One thing I do like, what the kids have taught me this one. Has anybody played Monopoly Deal? This is awesome. This is like Monopoly in like 15 minutes and not all night. That's what this is. And so it's an interesting way to play Monopoly. And they have all these different themes like Wakanda forever. There's that Monopoly game. There's, um, it's the first time ever I've wanted a bigger pulpit. Um, there is the Pixar Toy Story and what's all in there? Toy Story and um, whoever, The Incredibles and Kanto. That's on there. And then, did y'all know there is a Medessa-opoly? Isn't that crazy? There, there's a, a monopoly based on middle Odessa. And so, matter of fact, I wonder, I don't know who, has there, is there anybody that has lived in the area less than six months? You live here less than, is there anybody? Anybody less than a year? Is there anybody that's lived here less than a year? Have you, do you like Monopoly? Well, come here. Yes, sir. Enjoy. Don't invite me. Okay. <laughs> Anybody like Toy Story Monopoly? Who, who's ever right here? Okay. They sit there, come over and grab it. How about Wakanda? Any, any Marvel fans? Anyone Marvel? Right, Amber. All right. Come here, Chris. And who do want to try? Who do want to try Monopoly deal? Who's like, I don't know, I would just like about a 15 minute, Lee? Ken, did you raise your hand? Who, somebody raised their hand. Was it just Anne Marie? Who raised their hand over here? I thought another hand first. Over here in the back, hand raised, glad, yes, yeah, come here, back row. There you go, Lee. I don't have steps to go down anymore right now, so. There you go. All right, give those guys a hand, yeah. So even though almost everyone has played Monopoly, you know, I mean, I, I mean we kind of know the basics, right? I mean, really the basics are is, um, is to make a lot of money and to bankrupt your enemies or your, your opponents or some call them family. And, uh, and so that's the goal. I mean, you want to put them out of the game and... Um, you want to control blocks of property and, you know, you can put hotels and houses and demand rent and higher prices. And so that does sound like the Permian Basin. Huh? And so, but there's, you know, and so that's the object is you want to gain all the money that you can. And the more monopolies that you have, I mean, the better chance and the more control you have over the board, the better chance for you to win the game. And so, but there is a definition for monopoly. 
So if you look up the definition for monopoly, part of the definition is this, the exclusive possession or control of something. The exclusive possession or control of something. And so every time that you see now Monopoly game or hear about Monopoly or maybe play the game you just got, you need to remember that our God is a God that wants exclusive possession and total control. God wants a monopoly over your life. You can't kind of follow God's plan for your life. You can't kind of pursue his, his vision or his dream for you. It is an all-in thing. If you are serving him with half your heart, or the reality is you are not serving him at all. We gotta have this resolve within us that we're gonna serve him with all our heart. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us in Luke 10, 27, the scripture tells us that you love the Lord. And I, I, I love the one in Luke. You know, this is said in all of the gospels, but in Luke, he says it very specific to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everybody say all. So he says with all of your heart, with all of your soul. Everybody say all. With all your strength. Everybody say all. And all your mind, everybody say all. I mean, it's all of it, baby. I mean, he wants it all. And the, the thing is, I, I think maybe we, we give kickback or resistance to that, but there, if, you, if we just surrender and say, okay, God, you can really have all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength. I'm gonna tell you, life will fare much better for you. And I'm not saying this because we serve Jesus, that life gets better. I mean, when you serve the Lord, the reality, we're all gonna face trouble, we're all gonna go through stuff and, and some unimaginable things, but I'm gonna tell you something. We don't live life just for the now. This, what this life is, is a dressing room for eternity. And so Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, Let's look what it says. Matthew 19, 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, if you look, this account of the rich young ruler is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's found in all three of these gospels. And that's where we actually, and, and there's not one of them that just says rich young ruler. One gospel says rich, one says young, and one says ruler. And so we know these are all the same accounts, so we kinda understand this is the rich young ruler. But I wanna point you to a very important word in his question. He said, what must I do? What must I do? He says it in Luke chapter 18. Teacher, teacher, that's where it's a religious leader. Teacher, what should I do? do you find it in all three of them in mark 10 17 where we find the other account it says what must i do to inherit eternal life the, and the answer is this number one is this we can't do enough for salvation we can't do enough and there is a a positive connotation of that and there's also a negative connotation to that because the reality is that the negative would be there are so many people trying to earn their way to heaven and you will never earn your way to heaven. 
We'll never earn our, I know that we're oriented towards doing, right? We, we're a blue-collar people in a blue-collar area, but you can't take that relationship with God. How good do I have to be to get in heaven? I mean, that's, this is what the guy's asking. How good do I have to be? How many times a day do I need to pray? How much of my Bible do I need to read? How, how many good deeds will, will get me there? How much is enough? What do I have to do? And you cannot earn your way into heaven. I mean, and it's really the most dramatic difference between Christianity and any other world religion. In any other world religion, it is acts-based. It is do-based. But Christianity is done-based. Did you catch that? It's what Christ has already accomplished and done. I mean, in Acts chapter 16, listen to how simple the gospel lays it out. I want to look at two verses, Acts chapter 16 and Romans chapter 10. Acts 16, 30. This is, you know, Paul and Silas, they were in the prison, but let's pick up what it says. And so this is about the jailer. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, he's asking the question directly. And they reply, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. I mean, why do we make salvation out to be so much more difficult? I thought I'd get a little amen there. <laughs> Romans chapter 10, verse 9. One verse isn't good enough. Let's look at the next one. If you openly, everybody say openly, declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It says what? You will be saved. When it comes to salvation, it is not about doing. It's that we don't do something. We don't do something and earn it. Matter of fact, the Bible says even our righteousness, our right actions are filthy rags. Why? Because it's about his righteousness. So it's not about doing, it is about believing. We believe that he is the Lord Jesus. We believe that he is the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, and that's the one we confess as Lord. It's believing in who he is, and it's about giving up control. It's about complete surrender, saying, okay, Lord, I believe that you're the Lord Jesus, and I'm gonna serve you with all of my heart and all of my mind, and all of my strength, and all of my soul, with everything. I'm not gonna hold anything back. You cannot earn salvation. It is a gift to you. It's a gift to you. Romans, uh, Matthew 19, verse 17. So that's verse 16. Let's pick up verse 17. We're a, little, a couple of verses here. And he said to them, why do you ask me what is good? So as remember, verse, verse 16, what did he ask? He said, um, someone came to Jesus with a question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And then in verse uh, 17, we pick up and he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. This is Jesus responding. If you would enter life, if you, if you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
See, the second thing is this. Well, I thought you said, Pastor, it's not work-based. It's not due-based. Listen, number two is this. We can never be good enough for salvation. That's what Jesus is trying to illustrate here. He's not saying if you do all of these things, you're going to have eternal life because to do all of these things is impossible. I don't know. I'm just going to help you a little bit and maybe, maybe this will set you free. Maybe this will help you just a little bit. But did you know on that, that to, to completely fulfill perfectly all of your life, the 10 commandments is impossible. Did you know that? I mean, we strive to do it. We want to do it. And you know, there's a whole lot of other laws in there besides the 10 commandments, but the 10, I mean, it's the, it's the top 10, right? It's the 10 biggest hits. Some of you will catch that reference. If you know about the cartoon, you can never be good enough. Sir, how I feel because the thing is this, we, we, we kind of get locked into this. I feel like this is what people say. I feel like I've done more good than bad. Like if you have conversations with people, I, I feel like I've been better than most. I feel like that my good outweighs my bad. And that's why we can never do enough or never be good enough to earn our salvation. There is only one who is good. What Jesus is saying is, there's only one that's perfect and it's God in heaven. There's only one good enough to be there and he's there and it's God. Jesus is setting the standard. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, everyone say everyone. Everyone has sinned. I just said this. I thought, man, I wish you could give away a prize to who would admit the last time they sinned. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. I, you know, we're, we're talking about Six Flags. I, I, I don't know if you know this about us or our family, like, but we are, we love theme parks. We love Six Flags, anything like it. We you know, we're those type of people that, I mean, we go skiing. It's been a while since so we've gotten to go, but we go skiing. I mean, we're there an hour before the lifts open. We're on the first chair up and we're doing everything we can at four o'clock when those lifts close to make sure we're at the very top. I mean, at 359, I mean, we're hitting chair lifts to get up there. That's, I mean, we go to Six Flags. I mean, I mean, we are there from when the park opens to the, I mean, we're trying to get on a ride after it closes. I mean, that's just the way that, that we're wired. And um, uh, that, that's just the way we live. But, you know, in a lot of these parks, they have this sign. And, and I, you know, being that way when you have small kids, sometimes it's hard to ride all those rides. And I think we have an example. That we're we able to get an example of, of uh, you know, you, you have to be this high, you know, to ride the ride. You know, it kind of gives the standard, you know, uh, that poor kid you know you got to be this tall you see what God's standard is is kind of like us trying to get on the ride and it doesn't matter how much we try to get on that ride we're always going to be too short we're not going to be tall enough to ever get on that ride and so what Jesus did is he didn't lower the standard. 
He built a box for you to stand on. And when you stand on that box, you know what it does? It makes you tall enough. And we can always look down at the chief cornerstone and the firm foundation, the rock that is Jesus, on which we, is anybody listening to me this morning, that which we stand on and it makes us tall enough to get on the right. We are saved to do good works. We are not saved by good works. And that's a, a very important thing to remember. Yes, as believers, we, we need to work. We put our hand on the plow and we move forward. I mean, once we come into faith and accept Christ as our savior, yeah, there's a road, a race in front of us to follow and to run. But listen to me, we are saved to do good things, not by good things. And so he says, keep the commandments. Which ones, the rich one ruler asks? You shouldn't murder, commit adultery, not steal, not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, you know that there's several, you know, these are all listed, but when you get to that last one, did you know that you shall love your neighbor as yourself? It's not listed in the original ten. And matter of fact, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he's talking about this division that happens in the Ten Commandments, that the first four are God-related, and the other six are, is, is relationship human-related. And this is actually, he was taking a teaching from the Pharisees. This was something the Pharisees taught. How ironic that the Pharisees taught, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, they did not love their neighbor as themselves. yet it's what they preached. And so Jesus is, he's, he's really kind of, just like how Jesus does. He's, he's, a, he's, just, he's just poking a little bit. He's, he's just poking a little bit because this man is most likely very connected to the Pharisees because we see in other accounts where he's called a religious leader. And so we see that there's these 10 commandments and, and, but the reality is, is the most important one that Jesus could have said, but he didn't say was you shall have no other God before me. And the reality is the rich young ruler did that the rich young ruler, as we know how the story turns out, he had his wealth and possessions above God. I mean, but here's Jesus, he's saying, he's saying that, um, uh, that, that no one is good. And I want you to process that for a moment. We can't be good enough, remember? Romans 3.12 says this, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And I, I'm just trying to, you know, because the reality is, is that even in, in those that, that come to church or those out of the church, I mean, we kind of tend to think along that lines, surely I'm good enough. And, and what we need to hear is Jesus saying, no, not one. But, but Lord, I've done all this. no. Not one. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like talk, talking to toddlers sometimes, right? Don't touch that. And then you still go over there anyway. And they look at you the whole time. Right? 
I mean, our little puppy dog that I, like, no, Milo, and he'll look, and he'll, I mean, he'll go, whatever I say, no. I mean, he's going right for whatever it was. And the reality is, is that James 2.10 tells us that if we, see, we can't be good enough. I, I don't know if you, if you've read this passage, it has ever leapt out to you, but James, you know what James 2.10 tells us? That if, if a person who keeps all the laws except one, except one, he's as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. See, the, we can never measure up to God's standard. We've got to have the blood of Jesus. Pick up and, so listen, partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience, listen, we gotta serve God. Remember, we want God to have the monopoly over our life. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, so this, you know, because how did he respond? He said, okay, here's a list of six things that you can do, and the guy's like, and one of them he even threw in from the Pharisees, because most likely he was a Pharisee, and the guy says, I do all of that. I mean, it so reminds me uh, of the parable of the sinner and the Pharisee. Do you remember that parable? Where there's the, the Pharisee, he's over here praying, oh God, thank you I'm not like that guy. I, I come to church, I give my alms, I, you know, I serve you faithfully, and then there's this other guy over here, I mean, he's, the Bible says he's beating his breast, and he's like, forgive me, oh God, a sinner. And so, he says, if you wanna be perfect, go sell all of your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Mark chapter 10, 21. The thing is this. this is, Jesus is just not like, like, you know, this is not like a quip. You know, I mean, it's just not, it's not about just about proving the point. I mean, he's speaking directly to this man now. In Mark 10, 21 of this account, it tells us something, how Jesus sees this situation. And it's found in the first sentence of Mark 10, 21, and it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He's not trying to create some standard that this guy can't follow. I mean, he is speaking something out of love, saying, if you really want eternal life, then go sell all that you have. And that's fascinating to me. But number three is this. God wants exclusive possession and total control. That's what we're talking about. That God wants exclusive possession and total control over our lives. And so Jesus responds to him, okay, all right, you do all of those things. Well, then if you really want to know what you need to do, I've got a deal for you. I've got a monopoly deal for you. Go sell all that you have. Give it all to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven when you make that sacrifice. Follow me. Whoop, breaks, Lord. Wait a minute, good teacher. Um, I don't know if you know how much I got, but I, I got a little bit. So uh, just bear with me just for a moment. I want you to listen to me. And I want, to, I want to preface it this way, is that, you know, there's a lot of atheists or non-believers that have this argument that Jesus wasn't real. And I know I've said this so many times, but it's important to catch this. Even atheist historians acknowledge 
the historical Jesus. Like, I don't have time to like to quote all the names and research, but like it is, it is like in, in, in the academics of history, there, it's a mute argument of whether or not there was a Jesus. They, I mean, they concede there was a, a, a man, Jesus, that claimed to be from God. I mean, that, that, that's, that's not an argument. So many people want to argue that. It, it's, it's a mute argument. But, um, but I, I, want you to, I want you to catch this with me. He says, um, uh, you know, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. I mean, this, Jesus is asking everything from this guy. And, but if you look at those same historical writings, here's what we find. There are, there are historians from the first and second century that write about the rich young ruler. Okay, so take this with a grain of salt. I, I'm not like trying to read into scripture. I'm telling you the external sources of historical record around this moment. Does, does that make sense? So does anybody remember a man by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter three? So there are a lot of historians I'm not, I'm not saying biblical authors are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that there are, there are historians that wrote, that believe the rich young ruler was Nicodemus's brother. It was his younger brother. Now, what's significant about that is that we, there's two things that are significant. One is this, is that they believe this rich young ruler, he had enough wealth that all of Jerusalem could live off his bank account for 10 years. Now that's significant wealth for in the first century. Would you agree? I mean, could you imagine somebody, and I mean, there probably is, but in, in the Permian Basin that had enough money that we all could live off his bank account for 10 years, right? And that, that process that for a minute. And so Jesus is saying, go sell all that you have and give it all away. What's, uh, what's another thing that points to this is that many believe that Nicodemus was that wealthy. And did you know that Nicodemus, he was friends with somebody. He was friends with a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Does anybody remember that name? That's the man that gave them the, the, the tomb for Jesus to be buried in. And the question arises, some historians, I'm talking about these, these writers, talk about why didn't Nicodemus give his? Because we see a pattern of Nicodemus through Scripture. I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but many believe that he, he, he came of faith and that he did sell all that he had to follow Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And so if he sold all that he had, then he no longer had a tomb for Jesus, but Joseph of Arimathea did. I think that's really fascinating about history. But so this man, he had immense wealth and, and the Lord told him to give it all. And I know, I mean, I know many of us are thinking, I mean, process this for a moment. If you live in America, you are wealthier. It doesn't matter how much is your bank account. Listen to me. If you are, if you live here in the U.S., you are, you are in the one fifth percentile of wealth in the world. You are more wealthy than four-fifths of the planet. Of the planet. I, I know, right? Isn't that, isn't that crazy to process? And we always want to focus on our lack, but the reality is we're blessed. We're very blessed. So he might tell me to give $1,000 to a missionary. 
He might tell you to give $10 or $10,000. He might tell me to give my life in full-time ministry. He might tell you to sing or to work the nursery or to pull up some carpet and paint. So what's the question? Apparently, the rich young ruler had something that was stopping him, and, the, and Jesus knew exactly what it was. And so my question to you is this, is what is stopping you? What is the question that maybe Jesus is asking you? What's stopping you from completely following Jesus? You, yeah, you know what? I... <laughs> Someone might come to me and say, they may offer me, would you turn your back on Jesus? If you turn your back on Jesus, I'll give you a million dollars. You know what? That's, I don't even have to process that for a moment. Not even, not, not a moment. I mean, there, I don't have to go fast and pray on a retreat for three days to know my, what my answer, my immediate reaction answer is going to be no. Why? Because nothing of this world is worth to give up heaven for. I'm gonna say it again, nothing of this world is worth to give up heaven for, yet so many are making that choice. Why? Because Jesus has asked the question, and you're like, everything, Lord, but that. Here's how it works. Here's how exclusive possession and total control works. I have this relationship. I know if I were to say to God, what would you have me do? God lead me. And God says, I don't approve of that relationship. What are you going to do? You would want me to change. I, I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if that person's providing finances for you. It doesn't matter what you think your life would be without that person. What's being asked of you? What's stopping you? And I want to remind you that you can't grow beyond your last point of disobedience. And so the Lord asks anything of you and you're like, I don't know, Lord, about that. You are stuck in that moment until you come into obedience with the Lord. Maybe it's a different area. Maybe it says, you know, God, I'll, I'll drop 10 bucks for you in the offering plate, but I won't give you 10 minutes this week. I'm too busy. Or maybe it's like this. You're like, Lord, I'll give you 100%. And the Lord says, I just want 10. No, that's too much. Maybe the issue is, God, I'll trust God you, with my schedule, with, with my future. I'm going to give all my plans to you. I know that you're asking for a monopoly out of my life. You want exclusive possession and total control. Listen, if you'll come to that place, or, you know, some it's like it, it, it may be a habit or it may be an addiction. God, I'll give you everything but that. And the question is, how many of us are like the rich young ruler that says, Lord, I'll do anything. And the Lord hits that nail on the head. And we're like, well, wait a minute, God. You're, 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 you're getting in my personal business. God, I don't want you to have my money. I'm a spender. I, I depend on it. I, I don't know if I can afford to do it anyway. Anyway. 
Listen, this is such an important moment. This is a, such an important point. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Most problems happen in the area we decide to handle on our own. Most problems happen in the area we decide to handle on our own. Number four is this, that Jesus is not interested in what you have, he wants you. You know, when they came to that rich young ruler, it wasn't about how much money he had. In Mark, we read about that. He looked with love, genuine love towards him. Listen to me, church. God wants what's best for you more than what you want's best for you. Are you following me? God wants what's best for you more than what you could ever dream about, what you think what's best for you. And Jesus is not in, interested in, in all what you have. What he's interested is in you, is in you. And he wants you to come to the place that says, you know what, Lord, I'm tired of holding back. I am not gonna let anything hold me back for what I can have in you. I'm not gonna let money, I'm not gonna let people, I'm not gonna let situations, I'm not gonna let conflict, I'm not gonna let family, I'm not gonna let a spouse, I'm not gonna let anybody get in the way of what you want for my life because I know, Lord, that you want complete and total control. You want a monopoly over my life. I mean, there's too many people living the almost opoly. And he wants all of it. He wants a monopoly. And would you stand with me this morning? Thanks for joining us on this week's podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspirational messages. Connect with us on social media at Odessa First AG. And if you'd like to support our ministry, visit odessafirstassembly.com forward slash giving. Until next time, stay blessed.